Today we're reading from Isaiah 56, verses 1 to 8, and this is the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord says, Maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, and my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name. Better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. And foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares, He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. And we thank God for his word as it still speaks to us today. So there we are. It was Christmas time and we were taking a fabled convoy trip to the north coast for New Year. Some of our friends had already hit the road earlier in the day and were up at the house that we were staying in already. So we were furiously packing the car, myself and two or three others who were traveling up together, getting the car ready to go and trying to get everybody on the road. And finally we get on the road and the weather is abysmal like that horizontal rain thing just completely miserable so we're obviously we're in a hurry keeping the speed limits of course you understand and my friend is a little bit ahead of me on the road because they'd got they'd got on the road before us so i'm in the fast lane and as i approach and i'm heading up the motorway there's this car doing one of the world's most annoying things driving at 60 in the fast lane so I wait behind them for a while before, you know, I begin to think, you know, well, should I flash them a little bit? Is the horn acceptable? How much tailgating is acceptable, right? I'm kind of making that decision. And then eventually I decide, right, that's it. And I look and the, the middle lane is completely free, both ahead and beside me. So I simply just move into the middle lane and accelerate up to 70 miles an hour and go past them. After a little while, there's a car in the middle, middle lane. So I move out back into the fast lane and think, Happy days, no problem, except next thing, blue flashing lights, and I get pulled over. Officer puts his hat on, knocks the window, he's looking in at two or three young adults thinking, yeah, look at these clowns, and he begins to speak, license and all that sort of stuff, goes back to the car, and then he comes back to our car again with my license. He hands it back to me and he says, are you aware of what you've just done, sir? And I said, what? He said, you're just undertaking the driver in the outside lane. Now, at this moment, as a law student, I begin to think that I know something, right? You know, it's kind of like whenever there's something wrong, like you've got a cold, there's ailments, and you think, ah, Google, you Google the symptoms, and you think you know something, right? But really, you don't. So I think I know something, and I start telling him how I hadn't, in fact, done that. I had just moved into the middle lane, accelerated to the speed limit, sat in the middle lane, and then, in fact, instead of undertaking, I had overtaken a car that was in the middle lane. And this went on and on and on and on and on. And he just kept looking at me. And I went on and on and on. Reasoning eventually reached the stage where I said, Officer, I'm aware that the whole key to this issue is my intention. 
And I'm feeling pretty good about myself at this stage. Pretty good, eh? Got him. There's just no way I can be in trouble here. I've got him. Officer pauses, says nothing. And then eventually he opens his mouth and says, Son, do you want the points? Or do you want the points in the fine? Game over. Because sometimes in life, this wasn't one of the cases where it worked, right? But sometimes in life, I'm sure you're all aware that our intention is absolutely key to our actions in lots of ways. For example, in our legal system, the most serious crimes all carry more serious penalties, not because of our actions, but because of our intentions, the mens rea element, as it's called in technical terms. What do we intend to do? That's the difference between murder and manslaughter, for example. Your intention. Or behind every great gift was great intention, right? We've all heard the phrase, it's the thought that counts. It's not really the thought that counts, right? It's the epic gift that counts. But anyway, we'll kind of go with it, right? Or probably the second worst thing that your parents could ever say to you growing up. The first worst obviously being, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. The second being, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it. Our intention. And really what we're getting at today is that at the heart of rest is our intention. Because we've been in this series now for a couple of weeks, looking at the movement that takes part in our lives as we seek rest. We've been remembering and reminding ourselves that days off don't equal rest, that Sundays don't equal Sabbath. There's an intention to our Sabbath. There's a movement to it. And the first couple of weeks have been all about the things we need to lay down and seeking and resting, right? And it's been beyond just the obvious, don't work on the Sabbath, right? We're into things like our work, our endless desire for accomplishment, our infinite restlessness for more stuff, our yearning for approval, our worry, and at the heart of it, our attempt to be the Messiah over our own lives. But as we enter these weeks, it's about what we're picking up, not what we're letting go of, what we're choosing. And so often this is harder in life, isn't it? I often wonder at how much easier it is to define our lives and passions and direction around what we aren't rather than what we are. And that's what makes so many of the great soundbites, quotes, orators, moments in human history is that they spoke about what they are, who we are becoming, where we're going, not where we're not. Think for a second. Go with me to that incredibly powerful speech by Martin Luther King when he said, I have a dream. He could quite easily have said, I have an objection. He could quite easily have said, here's a hundred things that are wrong. But that's not what he did. He spoke about his dream. And a dream is compelling. So when it comes to Sabbath in our lives, what are we to embrace? Quick question, wherever you are today, why don't you jot this down and have a quick think to yourself. What does Sabbath rest look like to you? And how are you doing with it? What does Sabbath rest look like to you? And how are you doing with it? Because at the heart of the Isaiah passage that we read at the start, the words of verse 2, when it says this, Blessed is the one who, who does this, the person who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it and keeps their hands from doing any evil. The person who holds it fast, as it says, or as the message paraphrases it beautifully, how blessed are you who enter into these things, you men and women who embrace them third movement of the sabbath is exactly that it's embracing and i love that this is the third word because it's such a personal intimate term it's not distant or detached it's not choosing because so often in life when we choose things it doesn't result in us actually adopting them into our lives we choose things and then we choose another right but embracing embracing invades our personal space 
And this word is key in Isaiah 56 because it repeats itself throughout the passage. Verse 2, verse 4, verse 6. Hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. The thing is that the first time we read it in verse 2, it's in connection with maintaining justice, doing what is right, standing on our salvation. And in our hearts, there's not a church in the land and not a person in the land that they follow Jesus that isn't going to say amen to that. But verse 4 and verse 6, the same phrase, are all about holding fast to God's covenant, evidenced by rest. And make no mistake, right? This series is about speaking into our walking in the way of Jesus. The same stuff we talk about all the time, our personal devotion, our spiritual formation, our worship, community, and witness. And we're trying to wrestle rest into our lives. Jesus is making a claim on your life as his disciple, not my disciple, that you need to Sabbath. You need a day of rest in your week. The Bible never backs off it. It never takes a backward step about Sabbath. And the thing is, I know it's a wrestle. Why? Well, whether it's in my community last Thursday night or watching faces around the room today, it turns out that calling people to rest can be one of the most antagonistic things it's possible to say. Sabbath is about worship, it's about thanksgiving, it's about rest, and it's about celebration. So how on earth do we do that? I'm going to suggest three things today that we need to do to embrace rest and embrace Sabbath in our lives. And these are them, intentionality, values, and self. The first of these is intentionality. I'm realizing at this point that I'm using potentially the most Christian word it's possible to use right now. But intentionality, go with me for a second, right? When I was at school, probably my most hated day of the whole year was parent-teacher interview day. Like, I hated it. Why? Because I knew what was coming, the certainty of that conversation when my mom and dad got home. Because again and again and again and again, teachers told my parents exactly the same thing, that I had plenty of ability, that I didn't struggle academically, but that I just didn't apply myself. The thing about this phrase, hold fast or embrace, as we're translating it today, is that it implies choice, right? It requires our application. Verses 4 and verses 6, paraphrase, go like this. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast, there's that phrase, to my covenant, and foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to minister to him and love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it, and hold fast to my covenant. You see, embracing is about our intentionality. The question for us today is, do we intend, and I mean really intend, to become a people of Sabbath rest? Because the danger is that this message and this series becomes one of those ones that you, you forget, right? That you intend to forget. And our world would convince you that everything is important, right? The clothes we wear, the friends we keep, the stuff we do, the places we eat, living your best life in everything we do. Here's the problem with that, though. If everything is important, nothing is important. If everything is a priority, nothing is. So I ask again, do you intend to become a person of Sabbath rest? Because I was reflecting this week on my upbringing and the upbringing that so many of us in this church had in a home where my Sunday was different, right? Every week for all of my growing up life. And it still is, really. I know I was giving it stick about no TV, no birthday parties, no shopping and all that stuff the other week, on and on and on. But what if my parents actually got it right? They built their Sabbath 
around intentional decisions. The clear message of passages like the one we're reading today from Isaiah 56 or core passages on Sabbath like Exodus 20 is that we're being called to be people who don't just do what everyone else does. It's about how we are going to be deliberate about our choices in order to live truly as we want to live in response to the grace of God. I love what it says in James 1, to 25. This is the message interpretation. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you're a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, who walk away and two minutes later have no idea who they are, what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of his eye and sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Embracing Sabbath is about not just paying it lip service. We imitate God through deliberate intentionality in our lives, through more than just our words. Embracing is about choosing to believe that God's values are more than just good values. It's about truly embracing them right into our personal space. What price are we willing to pay to be a community that provides an alternative to the culture of this world? You know, throughout his lifetime, Claude Monet, one of history's great artists, painted approximately 250 different paintings of the water lilies at his home in Giverny. 250, right? The thing is that Monet could have travelled the world. He could have went anywhere to find subjects, scenes or textures that that would have merited his artistry. He could have went anywhere, and yet he didn't. He painted the lilies in his garden 250 times. What am I getting at? You see, it's that he didn't have to travel the world to find things that were worth painting. He just simply had to see deeper in those pools than anybody else. He just had to see deeper. And living lifestyles of intentionality is to become a people who look at the pools of our own lives and try to see deeper because to live a life of intentionality especially when it comes to rest and sabbath is to offer the world the beauty of our lifestyles because we're careful about what we're cultivating it's about offering the world a deeper view of what it means to be in the way of jesus of what it means to be alive you are not a robot created for endless work You're not a clone created for just doing what all the rest of the world does. You are made for deep purpose in God's redemptive plan for all of creation. But at the same value, you are made for deep rest, true Sabbath. Embracing is about intentionality. But secondly, it's about values. It's about values. So when Joy and I got married, I think it was our third Christmas, we ended up having family come to our house. Joy's parents, Joy's brother and his wife. And like we don't have a big house and it was going to be tight in the house, right? And that would be okay if we were all very similar people except we're very, very different people. So Joy and I talked and the first night everyone arrived in the house, they all flew in, we got everyone sat around the kitchen table having a cup of tea and all of that sort of stuff. And it was that moment where I chose to lay out the values, right? 
I'm talking if you're not cooking, you're cleaning, here's where the dishwasher is, please use it. If you use a tea bag, don't dump it in the sink, put it in the food waste bin. TV choices are by democratic choice and quality street wrappers are never ever to be put back in the tin, right? We were ticking off all the big important things at Christmas time, right? But we actually ended up having the most incredible Christmas time together in the end because we all knew where the boundaries were because we'd spelt out the family values. And that's exactly what God does in verses 4 and 6 of Isaiah 56. My covenant, my covenant, my covenant. This is about the family values. And when it comes to the values of the kingdom, our family values. Sabbath is the place where we get to hit the reset button after the obliteration of the week that's gone before. Joy and I just had the most awful week with Els sleeping. I don't know what's going on. It must be some sort of mental leap or developmental thing that's going on with her little brain at the minute. But she just decided that she couldn't sleep. Like, I mean, she has forgotten how to sleep. It's been awful. Like, every night of the week since Monday, she just hasn't slept, screaming all night. And the reality was we were pining for the weekend to come just to hit reset. I mean, we work all week. She gets passed around family for childcare, and she loves it, but there's no doubt that it's definitely harder than if she was spending it with us. And we were desperate for the weekend just to spend some time with her, to close the laptop for the week, to invest in each other, to invest in her, to sleep a little bit more, to nap if we needed it, to be a people of thanksgiving. We need it. See, to the Jewish people, Sabbath was always a corporate reminder wherever they were, however they were doing, that they were Jews. I've been reading Tom Wright's biography on the Apostle Paul and his commentary of Paul's upbringing in Tarsus, right? As a Jew, a member of a small minority group in a hugely cosmopolitan, diverse, liberal city, they would have been different. Wright's words are basically that if you had Jews on your street and you were in Tarsus, of course you knew they were there. Because they didn't do what other people do. They didn't eat what they ate. And never was it more obvious than Sabbath. Different ordering, different mindset, different rhythm, different values. The truth is for most of us, it's that my life looks far more like everybody else's life than I'd like it to. The amount of screen time, my spending habits, my fashion choices, my language, the things I watch, and on and on and on and on. And yet we're meant to be different. Holders of a different set of family values. Because to be deliberate about our values and our actions is to recover our identity in Christ, our true self. It's like finding yourself again. You see, to the Jews, Sabbath reminded them that they were Jewish, but to us it reminds us again that we are his. It reminds us again that we have a different set of family values. I mean, just read passages like Acts 2, 42 to 47, and you'll get this picture of what it means to live according to the family values, and it is like a high bar, right? 
But the thing is, whether we set ourselves a high bar, whether we're just a low bar, we're just trying to do the best we can. The thing is that when we start to try and live intentional lives of rest and push into these values, we find that they bear their own fruit in our lives. So I love the story of Jesus healing the crippled woman in Luke 13, right? This is what it says. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and she couldn't straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. And the synagogue leader freaks out at this point, okay? You're healing on the Sabbath is essentially what he says. This is wrong. If you must insist on healing people, do it on the other six days. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that's essentially what he's saying. Seriously. And I mean, just imagine the freedom that that woman experienced that day. As a crippled woman, the belief of that time was that physical sickness was the manifestation of spiritual impurity. In other words, she was unclean. And people believed that if you touched somebody who was unclean, you yourself became unclean as well. The result was that she probably hadn't been touched by anyone in 18 years. 18 years, no physical touch. And just one touch from Jesus didn't just heal her physically. It brought her back into the community of this world. It gave her back her humanity. And all of it on a Sabbath. Why? Because Jesus knew what it was to value time over space, right? We were learning in the first week about what God was doing in in the book of Genesis whenever he comes through the creation story. and, And then on the seventh day, he rests. And it's almost like he creates the rest as the monument to the creation of the other six days. As in, he doesn't erect a plaque to the incredible work of creation that he's done. He doesn't build a huge tower or an incredible mountain in his honor. What does he ask for? Rest. God values time over somewhere to be or something to do. God says Sabbath is not about a place you have to be or activities in your life. It's about carved out time, rest. And Jesus knew that. And because he knew that, he wasn't afraid to spend that carved out time on people. Because when we intentionally begin to dig in to the family values in the day of rest, we're reminded that time is greater than space, that generosity is greater than accumulation, that people are greater than things, and on and on and on and on, because it's about values, family values. And if we live with intentionality and hold fast to family values, especially when it comes to Sabbath, anything is possible. What do I mean? Well, just listen to this. This is a little extract from John Tyson's book, A Creative Minority, as he talks about the Clapham sect. This is what it says. The Clapham sect is a well-known example of covenantal community. It was a network of friends and families in England with William Wilberforce as its center of gravity who were powerfully bound together by their shared moral and spiritual values, by their religious mission and their social activism, by their love for each other and by marriage. The group's primary aims were the liberation of slaves, the abolition of slavery, and the reformation of the penal system. They worked fervently for several decades, both throughout British society and in Parliament, where William Wilberforce was a member, and finally saw the fruits of their labours with the passage of the Slave Trade Act in 1807 and the Slavery Abolition Act in 1833. 
Because of their shared commitment to one another in these goals, they were also credited with founding of the British and Foreign Bible Society, the Church Missionary Society, the Anti-Slavery Society, the Abolition Society, the Proclamation Society, the Sunday School Society, the Bettering Society, and the Small Debt Society. The Clapham sect are renowned for having played a substantial role in developing what became Victorian morals through their writings, their influence in Parliament, and the example they set. In the words of historian Stephen Michael Tompkins, the ethos of Clapham became the spirit of the age. If we start to live intentionally in the family values, and Sabbath is the place where we hit the reset button, we reaffirm them in our lives, anything is possible. It's about intentionality. It's about values. And finally, embracing the Sabbath is about self. It's about embracing ourself. Life can be pretty difficult, right? I mean, for every amazing gift in your life, there are times, days, even seasons when you can come to curse them, right? I mean, friendships, families, your spouse, kids, your job, your calling. They can all become things that do they're incredible and we're thankful for them and we push into them that there are seasons and times in our lives where they feel difficult. They feel like a burden. And Sabbath is a day where I get to get to grips with myself. By thanksgiving, by putting things down, by recalibrating back to values I hold fast to and embracing who I am. What I love about Isaiah 56 is that the prophet mentions three groups of people. Insiders, the Bible says, those who, whose burnt offerings and sacrifices he accepts. Outsiders, who were foreigners. And eunuchs, they're all very different people. But they're all welcome. They're all accepted. They all inherit a place at the holy mountain and joy in the house of prayer. How? It's because of intentionality and living according the family values. And the incredible thing about that is that it means that I get to be me. Tired, limited, broken, ambitious, short-tempered, boastful, proud, unforgiving, eyes easily taken by stuff, fickle, jealous, outsider, me. And at the same time, I get to embrace my calling and be reminded that my life isn't actually about my life, my purpose. My calling gets absorbed up in the greater purposes of God. Tom Sines says this, we're asking the wrong question if we search for God's will in our lives. He says that we should instead see what God is doing in the world and become part of his program. Sabbath is where I get to do that, where I get to step back and be truly me and Yet remember that I'm just absorbed in this bigger thing that God is doing in the world. I get to be me and face my calling, but also I get to be me and face wholeness. And so often I find that it's so easy in life to become someone who's aware that you need to change and yet be so willing to want, even expect other people to work harder at it than I'm prepared to work on myself. It's so easy to become someone who expects other people to work harder on my issues than I'm prepared to work on them myself. And Sabbath is a space for us to do that. So if you're an introvert, Sabbath is a time to get some space to yourself, to process, write down, 
think through where you're at, how life is going, where you're at with your relationship with Jesus. If you're an extrovert, Sabbath is that space to get some time with people, quality people in your lives who can help speak into who you are. You can just get it all out, talk to them about where you're at. That's what it's about, to address the physical, mental and emotional status of ourselves, to face it and seek shalom. Being at peace with ourselves, our health, our wealth, our fulfillment, our satisfaction, our contentment, our wholeness. How? Well, I've found in my life that Sabbath is space, intentional space, built around a set of values, space for thanksgiving, for worship, to rest, to cook great food, to invest in people we love, to be around the community of the church, to cycle, to do things that bring me alive, the space that weaves back together all the bits and pieces of my life which are so fragmented, even smashed to pieces by the strain of my life. Does that resonate with you? Sabbath is about embracing self because it's this rhythm in our lives where we establish some patterns that actually help to hold us together and integrate all the scattered parts of our lives back into a whole. It's like how everyone I know has got a trigger for chaos. Everyone. You do. Everyone's got a trigger for chaos. Mine, it's when my house gets out of order, right? Like things lying around, cups on the side, else toys not put away, uh, washing drying on every radiator in the house. It's like I can be in the sweet season of life and all it takes is for me to come home on a Friday afternoon to my house that's a mess and I feel all out of sync. I get all flustered. I get short-tempered and yet I can be in the most stressful seasons in my life and come home to an ordered home and I feel able to think, able to face the stuff able to be me and that's what sabbath does it's this time to get your stuff back in order get yourself in order embrace yourself again you know just as we finish up today in the early books of the bible the torah The command that we read, that we read in week one from Exodus 20, is one of the first commands, the Sabbath, in the Bible. But it's basically repeated word for word in Deuteronomy 5 a little bit later. Except for a key difference. And that is that Exodus 20 is about Sabbath as a response to the creation story. In other words, God created and then God rested so we should work and then we should rest, right? But Deuteronomy 5 is not like that. Deuteronomy 5 is about response to their freedom from slavery under Egypt. In other words, as is the base for Walter Brueggemann's book, Sabbath is resistance. Sabbath is a statement and is to be a statement of defiance and push back against the slavery that they had been under for so long. Because they've been slaves, right? They've been worked to the bone in Egypt. The scripture is full of passages in those early books talking about the story and how badly they were treated. Like it was horrendous under Pharaoh. Slaves don't get days off. They never stop. Slaves don't Sabbath. You know, the only people in the world who get to choose when to rest are free people. And we're meant to be free. And still we don't choose rest we have all the freedom in the world and still we're not choosing it which makes me ask the question are we really free after all are we free after all you know sabbath is about laying some things down 
But also it's about picking some things up. Not just picking them up, embracing them, inviting them into our personal space. And what if you can't embrace true rest in your life because you're still in Egypt? What if you can't embrace true rest in your life because something still has a hold of your life? What if you can't embrace rest because you're not as free as you think you are? What if this is the moment to let go? You're free. You're not what the world says you are. You're not what other people have said you are. You're not what the internal voice in your head that tries to knock you down and pull the feet out from under you says you are. You are who he says you are. You're free. And you get to embrace Sabbath rest for your life. But you have to embrace it. You have to hold fast. And the only question today is, will you?